0: good morning i I will say that it is nice to kind of in the midst of all that's going on in the world to come to church to open god's word to pick up right where we were last week and focus our hearts and our minds on our relationship with god Uh, this morning we're continuing on in our series in first thessalonians we're going to be starting in the first verse of chapter four looking at the first eight verses so if you would like to turn there or look in your worship folder I'll read this for us, so I encourage you to follow along. Beginning in verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each... One of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles do not know God. Then no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner because the Lord is an avenger in all these. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives Holy Spirit to you. Please pray with me. Holy Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word, that we might see Christ and become like him. We ask this in his name. Amen. Now, I think you're probably a little bit like me. Uh, There are certain people in the world that you're suspicious of. In fact, I think I'm actually very suspicious of a lot of people. I'll, I'll give you a few instances. First one. I think is the strangest, and this is the stranger who, in twenty twenty one just walks up and knocks on your front door unannounced that that that's always a bad interaction, I feel like like that doesn't happen anymore. Uh, the other one that is very suspicious is the phone call you receive, but you don't have the number in your phone. yeah, i'm not picking that up. None of you pick that up. If you do, you realize that fifty percent of the time someone somewhere is under the impression you need a car warranty extended. (laughs) My car is 16 years old. I would love to find the person who would give me a car warranty on that. So you got the person who knocks on your door, that unknown number. Uh, There's also a pyramid scheme guy. You know, this person who's like, I have found the greatest business endeavor of all time. If only you and my your 14 closest friends would start giving me money on a monthly basis. We could all be rich. Yeah, it's very suspicious. Don't ever listen to that guy. There's also some people I'm suspicious of that I've never met before. And uh, it's because I have two daughters. I promise you, I will be completely suspicious of anyone who asks out either of my daughters. So if you're a middle school boy in here, I don't trust you. I, I, I'm actually, I'm watching you very closely. Um, and then there's one other person you should be really suspicious of the person who comes up to you and says, I know God's will for your life. You ever met that person? That's a weird person. Don't listen to that person. Except, perhaps, in this one instance, if you're looking on your phone at the church app and there's a fill in the notes section and it has the title of this sermon, or if you look in your, does it have it? Oh, there it is. It's in your worship, what's the na- God's will for your life, right? But you can trust me. Like, I'm not suspicious. And I say that because right here, it's, it's in the language of our passage, right? It says this is God's will for your life. If you look at this, it really is not suspicious. In fact, there's several things in the Bible you can know that are God's will. Like if you were to look at Ephesians chapter 5, it clearly says it is God's will that you redeem the time that you have been given. You look at Ephesians 6, it says very clearly it is God's will that you do your work is unto the Lord. So there's certain things we can know. In fact, later on in 1 Thessalonians, it says, It is God's will that you pray with thanksgiving and pray ceaselessly, without ceasing. That's the words I was looking for. So there are several things, but then right here, it says that sanctification is God's will for us. So God's will for you, if you're a Christ follower this morning, is that, if we borrow words from Paul, that you'd become more and more like Jesus. That is God's will for us. Now, if we were to start here at the very beginning of our passage, it begins with that word, finally, because it's marking a transition. Everything we've kind of been looking up to at this point, Paul has been teaching, and now he says, finally, we're going to get to some application. This is the conclusion to Paul's letter. As you'll note, if you've not read anything else in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote, he is long-winded. It's a two-chapter conclusion, right? But he is ending here with a series of heartfelt, impassioned exhortations. Heartfelt, impassioned applications for them to follow. Today, we're just focusing on verses 1 through 8. And so I want us to consider these exhortations or these instructions kind of in three parts. The first one is exhortation in general. He gives a general exhortation. So exhortation in general. The second is exhortation in particular, because he says something generally, but then he gets very particular. He says has something specific for us to think about. And then at the end, he offers perspective on this. So I would say that's exhortation in perspective. So exhortation in general, in particular, and in perspective. That's our outline for this morning. But if you would, let's look at the first one, the general overarching exhortation that we see in verses 1 through the beginning of verse 3. I reread this for us because perhaps we need just a quick refresher, but he says, finally, then brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. In 1949 in the state of Washington a family started a business. The Schoen family started the business we now know as U-Haul. And today if you're moving or you need to move or you need some items related to moving you may very likely call the U-Haul company or one of the many of them that are scattered around Macon and it's because they do all things moving. That's what they do. That's what they're in business for. In fact, if you were to look up U-Haul's motto, it says to provide better and better product and service to more and more customers at a lower and lower price. Okay, what they're aiming to do is to grow, to improve and expand in all things in the moving business. That's just what they do. They provide you trucks if you need it, trailer, container, self-storage, boxes, tapes. They even have a website that will help connect you to local moving companies. Sermon Prep can take you in weird places. This week, it took me to looking at moving companies in Salt Lake City, Utah, because I just clicked on it, I was like, what's happening? And I clicked on this one because the name of this moving company was Smooth Moves. (laughs) (laughs) Their tagline is Smooth Moves, it's what we do. And so I was thinking, well, U-Haul Company and Smooth moves they're kind of on the same page. Helping people move their stuff is what they do. That's just what they do. If you read 1 Thessalonians in the first few verses here, you can't help but get a similar feeling when it comes to Christians and sanctification. In fact, sanctification, it's just what we do. This is what we do. If we're a Christian, this is what we do day in and day out. Sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus, is what we do, and it's because He has redeemed us. He has made us new. He has given us a new heart, a new spirit that we might follow after Him. And so we do this more and more. If you're a Christian, growing in grace, growing in holiness, is what we are to be doing all the time. That You could say this would be our constant mindset. Now, Paul's instruction to the Thessalonians here in the first couple of verses, it says that he asks and urges them to continue in what they had learned. And you think about this, when he says, I asked, it has the, the, the weight of like brotherly love. He's asking, he's kind of pleading with them. And then he says, I ask and urge you. This is him coming from like the apostle's authority angle. So he's very adamant that these people more and more apply what they know in a very gentle, genuine, adamant way. He even compliments them in what they're doing, but he is adamant that they go about walking with God and pleasing God. So he says, you're doing great, now don't stop. Don't stop, don't think just because I've reached some kind of a benchmark that I'm done. He says, no, we do this more and more. It is what we do. U-Haul's motto was, "I." Ideally to grow, improve, expand. Well, the same would be true For us. That is what we do. It's our business to consider our lives. It's our business to think How can we grow? How can I please God? Uh, I don't know how much time you give How much thought you give how much conversation you give to this topic, but sanctification is to be what we do because we're Christians I think this leads to a very good question is, what does sanctification look like then? What does it look like to pursue growth in Christ in all the areas of our life? What would that look like for you? Well, we, earlier in our service, we answered some questions from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. If you go to number 35, the question is, what is sanctification? If you were to read there, it would say sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, And are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live under righteousness." It's kind of a mouthful and so I wanted to distill that down just a bit and kind of combine it with some of the language we see here in verses one and two when we say we see Paul asking and urging that they would take what they received and walk in it and do it more and more. So what are we supposed to do? If you were to distill that down I think the answer would be something like this. More and more We need to act on the knowledge we have received from God. More and more, we need to act on the knowledge that we have received from Jesus through the Apostle Paul. And I think we should probably, when I say that, more and more we should act on this knowledge that we have from God. Two things to highlight. Growing in knowledge is not sanctification. Growing in knowledge alone isn't sanctification. Now I I will say this, knowledge is necessary for sanctification. You need knowledge, knowledge of God, knowledge of the scriptures, knowledge of yourself. But knowledge itself is not sanctification. It's a starting point. Sanctification really means applying what we know. So sanctification isn't just knowing something, it's applying it, as the Westminster Confession uh, shorter Catechism question said it's really more about dying to sin and living unto righteousness as God has revealed it to us. We're to be sin killers. We're to be growing in holiness and bearing fruit. Uh, the Christian modus operandi is I kill sin and I grow in holiness. This is just what we do. Now I need to move on to the second point, but before I do that, I just want to make a quick note about the nature of our faith as Christians, our faith, from all the implications here, is an active faith. It's a growing faith because sanctification is a progressive work where we grow and grow more and more into the likeness of Christ. It, we grow over time. So as we move on from this section, let me just ask you, and in just an in-looking question, where is your faith? growing. Where, where is it going? Does your faith have life to it? Is it active? It should be. It needs to be. We need to be growing. We need to be killing sin. We need to be putting on faith and bearing fruit. It's what we're to do. So are we killing sin? If we were to ask you, what sin have you been working on this week? What part of righteousness have you been trying to put on over the last month? These are the conversations we need to be having in our own head and with other people. The last thing I'll say before we get to point to you, I've said that twice now, the last thing, last thing, is we need to rest assured that this process of sanctification will not be a perfect process. It will not be without setbacks and mistakes and messiness. It will be messy at times. I promise you, if you try to do this, you will falter. But don't get discouraged if you falter. Don't continue in sin and wallow there. Repent, believe, and go back, jump back into the fight. Keep going, keep striving, keep pressing on toward the goal, which is likeness, Because he who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And that is good news. Sanctification. This is God's will for our lives. It's just like you haul and smooth moves it's it's what we do so that's our general exhortation now we look if you if you were to keep reading as we read earlier paul moves now to one particular exhortation that he hones in on and this is kind of our second point uh so let me just read this for us real quick so we saw for this is god's will for for this is the will of god your sanctification here we go that you abstain from sexual immorality that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Perhaps at one point in your life you were a troubled soul, maybe a troubled college student, and things weren't going well, or you were making things not go well, and your parent had to a, had a sit down with you and said something like, you need to grow up. You just really need to grow up. And then through all that, you hear them all of a sudden. Now they're talking very specifically about you need to get your grades together. You need to dedicate yourself to your studies so that you can pass your classes. So we went from really general, like, I need to grow up to like, actually, the, a point we need to talk about is your grades. Or perhaps you went to the doctor and in very kind words, they revealed to you, you're not as healthy as you need to be. And then they say, generally, you just need to get in better shape. So you get this general exhortation, yeah, I need to get in better shape. And then all of a sudden, they're very particular, saying, here's what you need to do with your diet. Well, starting with something general and getting specific is what Paul does right here for us. He says, generally, you need to be sanctified. But then he puts his finger on something and says, we need to be sanctified in the area of sexual immorality. Before we do this... uh, I need, I'd like to ask for a sidebar with the whole congregation. Uh, just a quick sidebar because we're about to talk about an issue that many of us face and we're going to talk directly about things like sexual immorality or impurity, passions, sexual sin, that sort of stuff. And honestly, this is an area some people don't want to walk into because it's got a lot of pain connected to it. Or it has a lot of shame, maybe a bad history, you feel defeated, like there is despair. And uh, it just brings up all kinds of, of bad feelings, perhaps. Uh, I'll say this. If you don't want to go here, if you're afraid or you perhaps you're in despair, I want you to hear that if you're a believer, there are, is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you have confessed and repented, he has forgiven you. He makes you new. There is no need to feel the sting of shame or sin anymore. If Christ has given you his spirit and his word in the church, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Even in this area. You have everything you need to overcome your past mistakes, your current problems, even addictions you have all that you need to walk in newness of life to experience victory and joy you are not condemned or resolved to live in a dungeon of defeat in the corner of the church your whole life we we need to hear the freeing power of the gospel in our lives and the ability for jesus to defeat this sin he can do it in you so uh Let this truth motivate all of us, because we all have brokenness in this area. Let it, the love of Christ, the fact that Jesus would call us his beloved and forgive us if we would just come and confess and repent. Let this motivate us to holiness. Now let's go back to our verse here. Uh, Sidebar is over. Now back to whatever warriors do. All right. So in verse three, it tells us we need to be, it's God's will that we would be sanctified. And then he gets particular. talking about sexual immorality in fact he says three things uh, telling us three things that we should focus on one is he tells us to abstain from sexual immorality and that is all types of sexual immorality from things we see to things we do men women it does not matter he says abstain from sexual immorality He also says control your bodies for the sake of holiness and honor so abstain control and he says do not sin against others sexually An obvious example of that would be adultery, but he says abstain, control your body, and then don't sin against others sexually. Now, you could argue that all three slices of this instruction have one thing in common, and that is they all have to do with resisting temptation. They all have to do with resisting temptation in one way or another, and it's noteworthy to think, why are the Thessalonians getting this instruction? Well, it's because they're very much like us. Their world is very much like ours. They had a fight against their own flesh, but they were also living in the midst of a culture of that was hypersexualized. It was normative. So they're called out to a radical Christian ethic that is totally different. So that is why Paul is telling this to them. But it also applies nicely to where we are, because our culture is very much like this. And thankfully, as I was just mentioning, it is a fight that we can win by God's grace and through his spirit, we can win, but it is not easy to win. In fact, it is actually rather hard. Uh, John Piper tells a short parable kind of talking about the the difficulty of resisting temptation. Uh, It's it's a, a parable of three men. So if you would imagine with me, three men standing at the edge of a pit, like a big, deep, deadly pit, it's the pit of lust and desire, and he's telling this this parable about three men who are tempted to engage in internet pornography. And he says these three men are sitting around this pit of lust and around their waist are cords tied around their waist and they're dropped down into the pit. The cord is made of a hundred pound test uh, strength. So the cord is there and what ends up happening, the first man the, the line, the cord, is loaded up with temptation. You could say the temptation comes and it hits him. It's just 10 pounds. Boy, it, it pulls him forward. The first thing is it pulls him to the edge. And I mean, he feels it. Then 15 pounds, 20 pounds, and now he's, he's digging in. He's bracing himself. He's gritting his teeth. 25 pounds hits him. And he's like, this is, this is excruciating. 30 pounds, and he cries out, No, I no. But then 35 pounds hits, and the cord actually tightens up around him and it starts to sink into his skin. And at this point, he just says, No, and he jumps in the pit. Or you could say, Click. It's the first man. Second man, the weight of temptation is loaded on there, 10 pounds. Just the same way, it pulls him forward right up to the edge of the pit, 15 pounds, 20 pounds comes and he digs in, he grits his teeth too. 25, 30 pounds. He's no, not happening today. 35 pounds hits him and the cord tightens up and it starts to sink into his sides, into his flesh. And he says, no. And then 40 pounds hurts, 45, 50, And he says, no, he refuses. In fact, he braces himself and he leans back in excruciating pain. It's really difficult to even breathe at this point. And then it's 55 pounds, 60 pounds, and he just literally gasps. He loses the breath in his lungs and he gives up and he just jumps in the pit. Click. You have the third man who is then loaded, 10 pounds, yanks him forward, 15, 20, it hurts. He digs in, he grits his teeth, 20, 25, 30, and now he has to yell no, and he gets the 35 and the cord does the same thing to him, it just starts to dig right into his skin. It is so tight. 40 pounds, 45 pounds, 50 pounds. And he yells, no, and he refuses. And he leans back. He puts his back into it, even though it hurts. And he's, he's having trouble breathing himself. It's 55 pounds. It's 60. And he gasps. But he doesn't jump. He yells for help. He asks for help. And he grabs onto anything around him. He grabs onto a branch. Which you, and this is the promises of God. And he holds on for dear life. And it's pulling him, 65 pounds, 70, and he feels himself even breaking. And then he just closes his eyes, and he envisions his trusting wife. He envisions his children who admire him. And he thinks about Jesus, who at the moment is just standing there, proud of him, cheering him on. And so he refuses to let go and he holds 85 pounds 90 pounds it is now just ripped into his flesh and he's bleeding everywhere and he screams no 95 pounds 100 snaps he's free no click john piper was not preaching a sermon on lust, but he did say, if I was preaching a sermon on lust, I would scan the congregation and ask, are there any soldiers here? Do we have any bloody shirts? Do we have any scars on our side? There are plenty of us who have jumped in and broken our ankles, but Jesus rescues broken ankle people too. And then he says, but this isn't a sermon about lust, All right? Well, this particular point in this particular sermon is actually kind of about lust, and it's about sexual immorality. We are to abstain. We are to resist. It is hard, but it is part of sanctification. Christian, this is what we do. This is what we do to sin. We fight it and we beat it in the power of of Christ. We must engage in this fight. But if you were to look at the data, follow any of the news, you would realize that there are a lot of Christians, many Christians, who do not do a good job with this fight against sexual sin. Reality is, is far too many of us far too often give in far too easily. The rope tightens. We feel 20 pounds. like, I can't even deal with that. Like, I'm not even going to tend to be able to do 50 and we just jump to borrow illustration language like our shirts have no blood stains and our sides have no scars the truth is though if you're a believer we're all fighting to one degree or another the call here is to fight more and more to go deeper to go further so how do you start this journey of abstaining from sexual immorality how do you begin down this road how do you get the victory that you could have in Jesus? I would say there's three things to do. They all start with C. so three C's. Three. This is not an easy step to purity, don't hear that. This is just a starting point. But the first thing is this, starts with a C, is confess. Confess your sin to God and repent. You're not telling him anything he does not know. But we need to confess and repent and turn back to God. The second thing is, the second C is confide. If you are married, admit this and confide in your spouse. Confess that to them. If you're single, you're unmarried, confess this to someone close to you. Confide. That you, we need other people in our lives to fight this. So confess, confide, and then the third thing is combat. We need to fight this sin and aim, I would say, to win by any means necessary. There's a lot of ways to combat this sin. i I just give you a few. One is prayer. Pray. Ask God. Pray. Get a prayer group together to pray. There are many people who deal with this. I would encourage you to memorize scripture. You have to be able to lean on the word of God in times like this. Get personal accountability. Get help. Get online software protection. Like I said, this is a win by all means necessary. If some software maker out there can help me be more like Jesus, by all means, I'll use whatever gifts you can give me, right? Also, I know people who even go to support groups for stuff like this. And for some of us, some of us, we need to change our friend groups. Some of you students, you need to get away from people who lead you in to sexual immorality. So confess, confide, and combat. And again, I need to move on. I want to leave you just with this encouragement before we go on to the last point, and it is this. This is not impossible. This is actually very possible. It is not a given that you will eventually fall back again into this sin. It is not impossible. The cord will break. God will give you a way out. God's mercies are new every morning. He gives sufficient grace and you can trust him. Again, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So this week, step out in faith. Trust him more than you have before. Cry out for help. Ask for help. Resist longer than you ever have. Be more transparent with your fight with other people. And then if you do this, you may get some blood on your shirt. But I know this, you will honor God If you're married, you'll be honoring your spouse. Maybe if you're single, you'll be honoring your future spouse or just your own vessel. Perhaps you're honoring the stranger who you were tempted to mistreat in your mind. But the best part is we can do this and we can please God. We can please God. And joy will replace shame and we'll be energized more and more to follow after him. And I'll just say this. One of the biggest defeating moments of your Christian walk can be when you're really trying and you stumble and fall and you go back to sin. I'll just say, if you give in and sin in this area, start over again immediately. Don't wallow, don't stay, don't let one sin lead to another and to another. If you're a child of God, repent and get back in the fight. It's what we do. Repentance is what we do. So we've been exhorted in general we've been exhorted in particular, and now God gives us kind of a perspective on these exhortations. So the last point that we were looking at is exhortation in in perspective. And here's some perspective. If we would just sort of circle back to get some perspective, we would see that we're to be sanctified and abstain from sexual immorality because, as we pick up in verse 6, it says we're to, we're to be sanctified and abstain because, it started there in the middle of verse 6, it says, Because the Lord is an avenger in all things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. There are a lot of things reeled off there in just a couple of verses, things like, like perspective-wise. Like it tells us that the Lord is an Avenger. He says that you have been warned about this. He said, God didn't call you to impurity. You've been called to holiness. In fact, if you're doing this, you're not sinning just against man. You're actually disregarding God. You're disregarding the Holy Spirit, which he sent to you. These are all ideas that give us perspective on what is going on. And there is a lot there, but I don't want us to miss the forest for the trees. So you might ask the question, well then what is the forest? What is the larger message of all of this? I think the forest or the message is that God calls us to a path of sanctification and he desires us to walk in it. God prompts us to do this at first by encouraging us, telling us we can please God and there will be joy and we can have victory. But then at the end here, he actually gives us a warning. He gives us perspective like, hey, what happens if we don't do this? In the end, he warns us that sexual sin, like all other sin, is actually going to be punished. And he reminds us that when we sin, we don't just make a mistake. We sin against a holy God, specifically Holy Spirit, who is present with us at all times, if you look at verse 8. And again, he is warning us so that we might not want to stay there. And we see That even in the midst of all that, if you look, I think it's verse 7, he is reminding us that this is not who we are. We weren't redeemed for impurity. He's called us out of that. He's called us and made us for so much more. So clearly, the path of sin is to be rejected. We're warned. like There's perspective. like You cannot go down this road. It's not for us. This is not what we do as Christians. Simply put, the perspective offered here is that if we reject Christ, we reject his teaching, and we continue in sin, as verse 6 says, he is the avenger. He's the avenger of all these types of sins, and he does not let sin go unpunished. So if we're living in these sins unrepentantly, we don't have comfort. We shouldn't have comfort. In the end, at judgment, only one of two people can pay for your sins. Only one of two people can pay for anyone's sin, the person who sinned or Jesus. Those are the only two people who can pay for sin. If you are in Christ today, that is, you're a Christian, you have repented from your sins and your selfishness and you put your faith in Christ, this warning here at the end serves as a spiritual bumper for you. A bumper meant to restrain and encourage you towards holiness and sanctification because this is God's will for your life. This is what we do. Christians, we fist fight sin and we cling to Christ. Now, if you're here this morning and you are not in Christ, you're not a Christian, this warning at the end of this passage serves as a call to repentance for you, calling you away from sin and to faith in Christ. I urge you this morning to put your faith in Christ, the one who knew the entire full weight of temptation and bore sin in his body, yet he never sinned, he never gave in. He, he offers himself to you, so cast your burdens, cast your sin on him and receive forgiveness and newness of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who redeems and you are a God who works your grace in the lives of your children. We pray that you would sanctify us through and through, that we might become like you. Would you do this in all areas of our life and in particular when it comes to uh, purity? So Lord, be with us this week. Help us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourself. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.